Welcome to the Glow Church Podcast. We are a global church committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus around the world. I'd love to invite you to join us for a service at any of our locations or join us online for our live stream service. I trust that today's message will bring hope and purpose to your life. But you've joined us at an awesome time. We're in the middle of uh, our deep dive series and it is a time, I guess, in our year where we dive deeply into a book of the Bible. It's not that every other week of the year is not deep or not that we don't dive deeply into something. It's just that this is the focus of our, our next six weeks. So we are in week three at the moment right now. And if you've missed the last two weeks, just take it easy. You can breathe. You don't have to have known the last two to be able to participate today and be able to receive something today. But let me read straight off the back, off the bat, um, Galatians 2. Galatians 2 is, it's an interesting passage. It's where Paul qualifies himself a little bit to, to the audience that he's writing to. He's writing a letter to the region of Galatia and to the churches that are there. This is Paul who has been converted from Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians, had a radical encounter with God, went to Galatia, planted churches that then sprung up, and he is now writing a letter to these churches because he's not able to be there, most likely in response to a report that he received at the time. But he says this crucial little passage that I want to dig into this morning at the bottom of chapter 2. It says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for righteousness comes through the, if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. Lord, I thank you that we can dive into your word. I thank you that your word is true. I thank you that you call us to seek out truth and that you call us to love truth. And so, Lord, we incline our ears and our mind and our hearts and our spirit to you this morning as you speak. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just take the words that are being communicated this morning and that, Lord, would it penetrate hearts this morning? Lord, that is my desire, Father, that it would go beyond just a presentation, Father, that it would be real in people's hearts, that it would be transformative on the inside. Lord, we haven't come to get goosebumps or have our ears tickled or check a religious box by being here on a Sunday, Lord, but we long for transformation on the inside, Lord. And so I pray that your word would do what it does best this morning inside of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The title this morning of the sermon, week three, deep dive series in Galatians is self-denial in a culture of self-expression. Self-denial in a culture of self-expression. Our culture is obsessed with self-expression, with expressing yourself, with uh, seeking the authentic self. And, and by any means necessary, I'm going to express myself and everything is permissible for me to express myself in being the authentic me. And that quest that of becoming the authentic self as an obsession with authenticity. 
And we justify, culture justifies all kinds of behavior in search of the authentic self, striving to become something, striving to do more, be more, express more so that I could find out who I am, who I am authentic, my authentic self. And the inconvenient truth, here is the inconvenient truth about, to borrow a (laughs) statement from a, who was it? Al Gore, Al Gore. Inconvenient truth about the authentic self is that the authentic self, if you really chase after it, if you really strip away possessions, career, all of the external things and you deep dive into yourself, deep down into yourself, do you know what is down there? The truth, the inconvenient truth about the authentic self is that you and I are deeply sinful, that we're deeply flawed, that there's a dilemma about us, that we find ourselves in a knowing that we are far from God, that really if you dig right down in there, if you express yourself to the fullest degree to try and search for the authentic self, you find yourself still falling short from a mark inside of you, a knowing inside of you that you are not right. And the Bible, in its worldview, It tackles this head-on in chapter 3 of the book. You open up chapter 3 of the book. It says that we ate the apple, that Adam and Eve were in the garden. God said, eat of all the trees, the whole garden. It's all yours except for this one that is mine. And we find ourselves this human proclivity to stray from God and this human nature about us that just leans towards disobedience, leans towards wanting to be the God ourselves, wanting to take control, wanting to have our hands on the steering wheel. And so secularism would say that to find yourself, express yourself. Express yourself and you will find the true self. Whereas Christianity would say, deny yourself and you will find yourself. And in Jesus' words in Mark 8, 34, it says this, whoever, whoever, anyone, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's counterintuitive. It's, it's completely counterintuitive. Like, like a lot of things in, in Scripture and in the kingdom, it's like if I want to find out who I am, maybe I should just do a bunch of things and then eliminate those things and on a quest to work out actually who I am. So I might do all of these things, behave all of these ways, um, chase after all of these certain things because I think that they will reveal to me who I authentically am, but really it's, it's, a, it's a bottomless pit. It's a black hole quest for, and really when you end up, and we're seeing that in culture and society at the moment. This is not something new. This is not a new phenomenon that's happening recently. This has been happening probably the last 30 years, is man's exploration into self-expression in a quest to find the authentic self. Christianity's goal is not, not to make you a mindless robot. 
It's not to make you a clone and to, and to take away all of the things you love and to take away all of the things that are unique about you. It's to separate uh, self-expression from the unique person that you are right now. So I'm not talking about that. God has made you uniquely. There are gifts and talents on your life. The way that you see things, feel things, sense things, those are who you are. Those are, are connected to who God created you as. But the central message of Christianity is, is what? Is Love, hope, salvation, it's not. The central message of Christianity is death. Death. If Christianity had a football jersey and we played it as a team, the emblem on our jersey would be what? A cross. The emblem of our faith is a symbol of death, is a symbol of shame, it's a symbol of sacrifice. It's not a heart, it's not a fish, it is a cross. It, in orthodoxy, it has always been a cross from the beginning. It is the central message of our faith. And it has been tried, and it, it can be twisted into whatever it, it wants to be in terms of enriching your life and, and being an add-on to your life. It is not. It is a cross that leads to a tomb that then leads to a resurrection. And that is the power of the gospel that Paul is talking about in Galatians 2. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a German theologian, said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Jesus called the disciples, he said, come on, boys, let's go. I'll make you fishers of men. He left off the last bit of that, which was, come follow me. I'm heading to the cross. And in their mind, maybe they heard when he said, come follow me, maybe they heard, come follow me to notoriety, to power, to uh, a better social status, to more income. I'm going to follow this rabbi who's on the come up, who's got a bit of notoriety about him, and it's going to improve my life. But Jesus wasn't saying that. He was headed to the cross. He knew that he was headed to the cross. So that call of come follow me is come follow me, I'm going to the cross. I'm walking to the cross. And it's interesting that when you read it, that actually only one of the disciples made it, really. John was, was the only one that made it to the foot of the cross. Afterwards, Jesus restored the others and they went on to do great things and they were actually martyred for the faith. But John was the one that followed him to the cross. When Jesus called his disciples, he was calling them to the cross. When he calls us, he calls us into death. This is uncomfortable and I can sense it even as I say the word because we as a culture have made the word uncomfortable because it's an uncomfortable reality to deal with if your highest pursuit is happiness. If your sole goal as a culture and society that we live in is happiness and flourishing and making your life comfortable, death is a very inconvenient truth about the human nature. And so we don't talk about it. So we just, well, let's not talk about it. And if you lose someone, it's like, oh, it's too difficult to talk about. I don't want to talk about that. But the beautiful thing about Jesus, the beautiful thing about the call that, that he gives to you is a call to lay down the heaviest burden that you carry. The heaviest burden that you carry is the burden of your own conscience. It's the burden of your own conscience. The real you, the deep, dark, real, nasty, selfish, self-absorbed, real, uh, real you. 
And this is not like, oh, awesome, I came to church to be told I was a sinner and to be told I was a... This is, an, this is an inconvenient scripture for me to preach, but this is the truth. So I can't like pass over this in Galatians and we'll just move on to something nicer and talk about Paul maybe encouraging the church. This is a truth that we need to wrestle with and this is a truth that exists for our freedom. God exists in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in self-submission to each other. The Father in submission to the Son, to the Spirit, in this beautiful dance of three. A trinity. It's hard for our minds to even comprehend how three parts can be one and how they can work in tandem with each other without there being a hierarchy because we see everything in terms of hierarchy. Everything. Our minds are so programmed to see hierarchy that we struggle to deal with concepts of unity, true unity, true submission. And God exists in this relationship and he invites us into that relationship. He says, come die and participate in this relationship that I've had going since the dawn of time. This beautiful relationship of submitting yourself to the Father and having him love you and having him accept you in that love. That's why, if you've noticed, that's why there's been a rise in in the last 30 years of, of culture embracing and uh, promoting self-compassion, self-kindness. You've got to be kind to yourself. You've got to love yourself. You've got to show compassion to yourself. These are great things on the surface. These are great things for a believer to, to do. And the Bible actually talks about caring for yourself and looking after yourself. But when there is no God, the notion of compassion is just there to pacify the reality of the real authentic self that is in there. It's like once you get down there and you realize there's nothing down there and there still is a longing and there still is a knowing, it's like, okay, well, just be kind to yourself. Just be compassionate to yourself and you'll pacify that feeling inside of you that's, that exists and that longs for that connection and relationship with God. It is, there's a desire inside of you for restitution, there is a desire inside of you for, for balance, for justice to take place. And what, what is happening in, in outside of Jesus is that you become aware of your sinfulness. You become aware of your uh, separation to God and you start to punish yourself because someone needs to be punished because there is an internal knowing that there is an imbalance and there is a a lacking and a a longing. And so someone needs to pay the price. And the Christian worldview is so beautiful because it takes that burden of someone needing to be punished for our knowing of being separated from God. And it places that on Jesus. And Jesus says, I will take that. Come and lay that burden on top of me and then pick up your true identity and who you are. It's internal knowing. Your sins were placed on him so that you don't need to punish yourself anymore. The real authentic you can come forth because you don't need to punish yourself anymore. You don't need to place that burden onto yourself and carry that yourself. Isaiah 53, it says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Peace is what we long for. Peace is what we need. So what does self-denial look like in a culture of self-expression? 
when everybody around us is expressing themselves in self-expression, what does self-denial, what does following Jesus into self-denial look like in a culture of self-expression? Thanks for asking that. I'll, um, I'll answer that. It doesn't mean, firstly, let's just, it doesn't mean stripping away all of the things that are unique about you, the things that God created you, your talents, your personality, your desires inside of you. Those are things that God is not stripping away again to make a robot. He's not interested in that at all. It might look like this, though. It might look like if you wanted to, let's say, I don't know, let's say you wanted to preach or you wanted to a stage and a microphone. It might not look like stripping away your talent to communicate or your self-confidence, your ability to speak. It might not be stripping that away, but it might be stripping away your desire for power or your desire to say something for the sake of saying it or your desire to, to lead, an unhealthy desire to lead. It is There is a difference in separation of the two. It really is motivations. That's what I'm trying to get at is motivations. Maybe you want to start a business. Maybe God's not, God's not going to strip away your entrepreneurial gift. He's not going to strip away the idea that you have for the business. But maybe he'll strip away your motivation in running that business. Maybe it's because I want to get super wealthy and I want to prove to all of those people that I can do it myself. And it's just those motivations that lead you into an, an unauthentic you. Maybe it's I want to find a spouse. God is not going to strip that away from you. He's not saying that's a terrible thing. You shouldn't desire a spouse. You shouldn't desire a partner. But maybe the desire or the, sorry, the motivations for that need to be checked. Do I just want someone to fulfill something inside of me? When marriage really is the starting line. Once you get married, that's the hard work. Once you meet someone, that's where the hard work starts. That's where it begins and gets started. It's the motivations. Motivations are like aromas. They're like smells. Like if you drive past KFC with the window down, you get a whiff of 11 herbs and spices <laughs> coated chicken in a deep fryer. It's not the chicken. It's the aroma. It's the, like, the smell of it. You know, it's like in close proximity when you drive past the windows down. It's like coming to church, and I didn't have to endure this this morning. God, God bless Emma for driving the kids, but we've got a one-year-old, and she, she will poo like clockwork on the way to church. Every time we go to church, every time, it's like there's a, it, it takes us about 15-odd minutes to get to church, and there is a window of 15 minutes that she, I think she just saves it inside of her, and she just goes in that window. But I know in the car there is an aroma that hits that car that it's like I know that we're in close proximity of something bad. Yeah. So what are your motivations telling you? What are the aromas of your life telling you? What are they indicating? What are they pointing to? Because it's not, God is not saying that motivations are bad, nor is he saying that ambition is bad. Those are good things, but it's those things submitted to God. It's those things laid before him, dying to yourself, dying to those motivations and those ambitions to have God set them straight, like a wheel alignment. Like every so often, probably, I'm not a mechanic, but probably I'm guessing every six to 12 months, you take your car to get a wheel alignment because over time, your wheels go out of alignment. I'm not, I'm not a mechanic. I'm doing my best with this illustration. I shouldn't have gone down this road, but now I'm so committed to this illustration that I've got to see it through. But over time, 
you will veer off the road and you will require extra force to, to, to keep you straight. And so getting a wheel alignment on your motivations and on your ambitions is super healthy. And it's what Paul's talking about in dying, dying. Here's where the rubber hits the road in, in self-denial, in, in submission to God. I'm going to give you three points if you're, you're taking notes. Point number one is submission of my time. This is where the rubber hits the road of, of self-denial, submission of my time. Is my time submitted to God? Is my calendar submitted to God? Is the way that I structure and organize my week is that up for grabs? Like, is that up for debate? Sorry. Does God have a say in the way that I structure and organize my week? And if the answer is no, these are things that I do with my time and these are, then you have yet to die in that part of your life. If that is not up for debate before God, then you are yet to die in your submission to God. Your quiet time. Do you have time Set aside where you spend time with God. Do you have dedicated time carved out of your schedule to do that? And I'm not saying you need to spend time and have dedicated quiet time in order to be close to God, but is that even an option? Is that even on the radar or, or is it I'm just too busy? I've, I've got too much going on. My calendar is under my own control and therefore this is what I'm deciding for it to be. It's getting real now. Sabbath, do you have a, a time in your week, a 24-hour period where you do nothing? You don't increase, you don't produce, you don't do something. For, for me and for Em and our family, it's 4 p.m.-ish, 5 p.m.-ish Friday to 5 p.m. Saturday, a 24-hour period where we do nothing. I don't look at my sermon for Sunday. We don't do anything for our business. We don't produce. We don't make anything. We just relax. And we give that time to God as a portion of our week to say we trust you. It is a portion allocated to God to say that I'm actually not in control. I, I, given seven days of the week, I will, do a, I will do a better job of six and giving you one than for me having total control over seven. It is a trust and it is a is a gift to God. Come 5 p.m., 5.30, I pull out the Bible notes and, and if we're preaching, then we spend that Saturday night and we're back into the week. But for that 24-hour period, it is rest. It is nothing done. Phone's off. It is, is not doing anything in that period. Number three, uh, sorry, number two, is submission of my talent. Submission of my talent. Are the gifts on my life being used to glorify God. For if it was by, this is Ephesians 2, for if it was by grace you have been saved through faith, and, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. Are your gifts, the gifts on your life, being used to glorify God? And you might say, you might say this, let's say you've been a Christian for a while, you understand Grace. You understand, I get it. I don't need to work to please God. He loves me. He accepts me. But then you go about your day and your life trying to please others, then it is the same trap that you've fallen into. Because if your talent is used to craft your identity, then you are in control of that. You are the Lord of that. He is not submitted to God. 
And imagine, imagine dying to your own self-confidence, your own self-worth, your own self-esteem based off your gifts to be able to pick up an acceptance of God and have actually, instead of a self-esteem, you actually have a Christ-esteem about you and that you actually look at Jesus for your worth. Imagine being free in your gift to be able to just serve people, to not be bound up by, I need to use my gift a certain way so that a certain amount of people will clap me or be able to acknowledge me or to be able to recognize me. Imagine not having that burden on you that you could just use your gifts freely, that you are not attached, you are unbridled in your gift to be able to serve people, to be able to do what you like. That submission to God and that uh, death in and of yourself leads to the true self-expression, the true, authentic self. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't rest on my own talents and abilities for my self-worth. Imagine not having to prove anything to anyone. Imagine, having to, imagine being able to live this life not needing the approval of other people. And, and social media facilitates this, and, and whether you, you would say you're free from it or not, it, it is a system that is geared towards acknowledging and promoting and clapping for talents and achievements. You portray your talents and achievements and things that you've done and have people clap for you and applaud you, and it is a, yeah, it is a, it is a trap. It is a trap. If my talent, imagine if my talent was unbridled from those motives that I talked about before. Imagine if the motives inside of you connected to your talents were submitted to God and given over to him. Imagine what could take rise. Have you laid it before him? Have you submitted it to him? Have you died? Point number three, one was my time, my talent. Point number three is my treasure. Are my finances submitted to God? Have I died? Have I died to me being the God of my own provision? And I don't need to talk to you about giving or tithing as much as I need to talk to you this morning about having that submitted to God and having that actually laid before God and actually going to bed at night and not thinking about finances. Not because there's, there's no needs that will come up tomorrow. There most likely will be financial needs that come tomorrow. But I'm talking about resting your head on the pillow, knowing that you are not the God of your provision, that God could actually be and desires to be in, in control of your mental burden that you carry in managing your finances. Imagine if you could give that over to him. How I spend it, how I think about it how I spend it, how I think about it. Is God at the centre of how I think about money, how I spend it? Have you experienced the peace that comes from submitting your finances to God and letting go of control, letting go of worry? There's something beautiful about a father providing for a son or a daughter. There's something beautiful about uh, my kids coming to me and asking me for things. Even when it's it's unrealistic. Like, Dad, I want a lolly in the morning or I want a 
a lollipop in the morning. It's just something beautiful about the relationship. Whether I give the, a lollipop in the morning, probably a terrible parent if I did that in the morning before breakfast, but it's that relationship of the child knowing that they can ask the father of anything. And there's something beautiful in being that child and having a father and having the relationship with a father, knowing that you can go and ask them for anything. And it is that relationship that God longs for to engage with, with you in and around your finances, that beautiful relationship of a father and a son and a daughter. These are, these are not silver bullets. These are not three things. If you do these three things, this is a silver bullet and you've laid down your life and you are all good and you've hit the mark and checked the box, I'm, I'm done. This is not. So if you're hearing this morning, you're like, oh, yeah, I get that. Like I've done, I've done all of this. Wrong. It's cross daily. It's carry your cross daily. Where's your cross at? Where's, where's the cross? If I, if I looked at your life, can you identify and show me this is it's it's on my back like I'm, I'm carrying this thing where's the cross where is the cross in your life these are the three biggest i've i've identified my time my talent my treasure the three biggest outworkings of your will in expressing yourself your time your talent your treasure self-denial ultimately is it's submitted will so what does that look like practically? Like when really practically, like what does that even look like, submitting my will to God? I would say it is like it's an exercise like this, and this is a regular exercise, and this is something that you can do today, this week, is go home, write down all of the elements of your life, my finances, my, like my money, my career, my study, my relationships, all of the categories of elements that, that are in your life, write them down on a piece of paper, pray about them, just take a step back, pray about them, thank God for them, and then ask him, is there anything on the table that shouldn't be there? Or is there anything on the table that I need to change? Is there anything on the table that I could potentially, I need a wheel alignment on? I just need to come back into, are there any motivations attached to these things that are on the table right now where I need, I just need a, a bit of a change? Like I need to address those motivations. I need to address those things in my life. This is an exercise to be done regularly. This is something that we need to do. If we really want to take this scripture seriously, if we really want to engage in following Jesus in dying to ourselves, then this is a healthy exercise that you could do very practically today or, or in your week that will really, I think God will speak. I think when you do that, you're stepping aside from you being the God of your life, being control of everything, having two hands on the steering wheel to, to just letting go and just having God speak into your situation. As for my will, like Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Here's the danger of choosing self-expression over self-denial. This, this is the danger of choosing self-expression over self-denial is that you will never you will never complete project self it is like it is like a house like if you buy a house there are things that you will always be doing it is like painting a picture on a canvas it's like you could take a step back there's always things to do. There's always another stroke to do. There's always more shading that needs to be done. There's, there's, it's like writing a song. If you're an artist, 
artists, like they struggle to release things. I know this because it was true of myself. Um, I created things and I never released it because I was afraid that it was never complete. It was never done. It was like in a house, it's like you just complete the gardens and then it's like, oh, the guttering's blocked and I need to replace the, the gutters. And then it's like, oh, our heater broke. Our heater actually did break last week. On the coldest day of the year, our heater broke. It is never complete. Project self is never complete. And you will never find the authentic self that, that you are looking for. There's a quote um, that I love this week by Heraclitus from it's circa 500 BC. It says, No man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. No man ever steps into the same river twice, for it's not the same river and he's not the same man. It's flux and change. It's that you are changing and things around you are changing. So how can you find the real you when you are in a constant state of change and flux and things around you are constantly changing and in flux and things that are authentic and true today might not be tomorrow and it is a bottomless pit to chase project self in a quest to find the authentic you. My appeal to you this morning, church, is die. Die. <laughs> Die, die, death, die. It's uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about it. That's what Paul was saying, saying, I have been crucified. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Give yourself to him fully. There's something beautiful about that metaphor of death, the symbol of death, because it's final. There's something beautiful about it because it's, that's the end. That's it. That's a, there's a reason why they say rest in peace. There's peace about the finality of, of death, a rest from everything that you've carried and endured. They would say of someone who's potentially suffered with a terminal illness who passes away, they would say, I'm glad they're resting now. And I wonder for us in this scripture, in what Paul was talking about, that carrying of the burden of self, if Jesus just said, rest from that, come and give that to me, die, hand that over to me, and I will raise you up. Can I get you to stand to your feet this morning? We're going to finish up. Here is the danger. Here is the danger of not fully dying. So hear me in this. That video that I played at the start, this is the danger of not fully dying, is that you become an awkward movie where you are wounded but not fully dead. And I think you will find the Christian walk difficult if wounded but not fully dead, if I'm happy to take a bullet of salvation and, and just get to heaven, but I'm not willing to fully die, you become like an awkward dying scene in a movie where you're like, you're, you're sort of dead, but you're not really. It's like there are some elements of my life that I have submitted to God, but there are not others. There are some that I'm willing to hand over to Him, but there are others that I need to keep close to myself and that I need to keep control of, and I'm not willing to lay them all before him and have him speak to me about these issues, you become like that movie. You become like an awkward, dying scene. Are you tired, church? If I could just get everyone to close their eyes. Just, I just want you to reflect now on everything that's been said. I want you to look at yourself, your own life, and I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. 
about this area? Are you tired of trying to discover who you are? Are you tired of striving to to please people, God, or create the authentic you? Are you tired of working on project self? Only dying to yourself leads to finding the true authentic you in the resurrected you that comes out of that tomb alive and truly you. Jesus said this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That word save in the Greek, it is so say. And it is a rich word and it actually means save is one of its meanings, but another meaning is to heal. Another meaning is to preserve. And another meaning is to rescue. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will heal it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will preserve it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will rescue it. And I wonder this morning for you, church, do you, do you say when you look at yourself, do you say, I need healing? Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's mental, but that is on offer to you this morning if you would lay down your life to Him fully. Preservation. Maybe you feel like you're just hanging on. Maybe you feel like for whatever circumstances are going in your life that you are just hanging on, just by a thread. There's preservation for you in this. And that dying to Him will not tip you over the edge. It will actually release something inside of you that will produce new life. It was only through death that Jesus was resurrected. And the last one, do you need rescuing? Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this message this morning. Lord, I pray this challenging message. Lord, I pray that we would never escape it, that we would never run from it, that it would always be on our mind and in our heart and in our spirit of ways that we could carry our cross daily, ways that we could lay down our life, that it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me is the desire and the call of our heart. And I pray for everyone this morning. Lord, I pray for everyone on this daily mission of laying their life down. Jesus, I pray that you would meet them there. And I pray for resurrection power in their life. And I pray in Jesus' Name that as they do that, they would find something incredible of You in themselves. They would enter into that dance, that relationship with You, Father, where You embrace them in love. And I thank You, Jesus, for the work this morning. I thank You for what You're doing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tune in next week for more great messages and to stay up to date with what's happening at Glow. For more information, check us out on our social media platforms or on our website, glowchurch.com. We hope you have an awesome week.